After a, a song like that, you just want to just be silent. So um, I hate to fill the air with words, but I pray that these words will be the words of God to you this morning. So let us pray. Gracious God, we would lay down whatever it is that's bugging us today, and uh, we would uh, listen intently to your word. Speak to us, we pray, freshly. Enable us to hear it truly, that we might be able to follow you more nearly in all ways. To you be all the praise. Amen. Reading from the Gospel of Mark, from the 10th chapter, beginning at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, on his way to Jerusalem, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, here was a man who really seemed to have everything. The Gospel of Matthew tells us he was young. The Gospel of Luke tells us that he was a ruler of some kind. Perhaps he was a member of the Jewish high court or a ruler of a synagogue. All the Gospels imply, or actually they state, Mark states it plainly, that he was very wealthy. And so we know him today as the rich young ruler. He was rich and young and powerful. He was what you would call the quintessential high achiever, a real go-getter. This guy had the world by the tail. Ambitious, enthusiastic, energetic, and gifted, he excelled in every department of life, except perhaps for one area, and that is he wasn't truly happy. 
We can imagine this unhappy fellow standing at the fringe of the crowd, listening to Jesus teach about the kingdom of God, and then watching Jesus as he modeled what it means to be citizens of that kingdom. And he hoped for that kind of life for himself, a life full of meaning and purpose, a life filled with joy and love and and peace. He seemed to possess, possess everything except those qualities. He wanted what Jesus had to give. And so one day he decided that he would no longer remain on the edge of the crowd. He wanted to get closer to Jesus. He wanted to respond and to experience this new and abundant life. He wanted to become a disciple, and so in his eagerness, he burst through the crowd and came running to Jesus. That doesn't happen very often uh, in, the, in the Gospels. You've got somebody running. All I can think of is that, that father in the story of the prodigal son who went running to meet his son who was coming back. But again, it reveals this man's eagerness to be in Jesus' presence. I love the detail in Mark's gospel. He came running and fell on his knees and cried out the words which he must have re- rehearsed a thousand times in his heart. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He addresses Jesus as good teacher, Rabbis were never addressed that way, but I believe that the man was paying Jesus a high compliment. He knows that Jesus is a very distinguished rabbi, and so he comes showing proper respect. Jesus responds with what seems like a rebuke, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Perhaps Jesus was only trying to point this man to the source of all goodness, to the one who sent Jesus. Jesus was always pointing away from himself to the one who sent him, to God, the Father. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is one of the most significant, profound questions asked in the Bible. And this fellow is to, is to be commended for asking it. No one who heard Jesus teach in Galilee asked a question of such magnitude, nor for that matter did any of Jesus' disciples. The man is essentially asking, what does it mean to be a Christian? How can I be a citizen of your kingdom? Good teacher, how can I enter into this kind of life you've been talking about and living? What do I have to do? What do I have to attain? What must I achieve? It's a great question, a profound question. But his assumptions are all wrong. The rich young ruler assumes that there is something that he must do to inherit eternal life. He figures that there must be something that he has yet to achieve and to attain. And therein lies the problem. For him, high achiever that he is, the spiritual life is all about self-effort. It, for him, is a self-improvement project. The rich young ruler is a doer par excellence, and that's true in the moral realm as in every other realm of his life. This, This guy is good. He's a good man. He's a model of virtuous living. 
He commands the respect of everyone in the community. He's honest, he's decent, kind to people, kind to his neighbors. I think we would all like him if we were to meet him. Maybe we'd elect him mayor of Muckleteo. I, I don't No, 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 that might ruin him. But <laughs> Jesus reads his heart. Jesus was pretty good at that, you know. Knows where this man is coming from. So he responds to this man's question by quoting the last half of the Ten Commandments. Those part of the commandments, the ten, that, that have to do with our relationship with others. Young man, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the young man says matter-of-factly and actually quite sincerely that he's kept all these commandments. Teacher, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. And you know what? We have no reason to doubt him. He tried to live a good life, always has tried to live a good life. And Jesus loves him for it. He appreciates his desire to live a life pleasing to God. Mark says, Jesus looked at him. The Greek word look really means to really look deeply. Jesus looked deeply into his heart and loved him. Mark says that Jesus agaped him, loved him unconditionally. And by the way, this man is the only person in Mark's gospel where, that Jesus is said to have loved. But then Jesus challenges him. There is one thing lacking. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The one thing that this young man is lacking is his unwillingness to let go of everything that was getting in the way of his living under God's reign. Jesus is calling him to pay heed to the first commandment, to put God first in his life. That he should have no other gods before the one true God. Jesus is calling him to love the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength and to give up the idols in his life. To inherit eternal life, to enter into God's kingdom, to experience the kind of life that Jesus is talking about and modeling, he must radically place his trust in the one who gives life and who provides for it. And he must abandon confidence in his own achievements and his own deeds and the result of them, which is his many possessions. All three Gospels tell the same story. The, the man went away filled with grief. Because not only did he have much wealth, many possessions, but as it turns out, his possessions were possessing him. He was so close to the kingdom and yet so far away. And so Jesus aches for all those who walk away from him and from the kingdom from all that Jesus would give. Now, I suppose it's easy for you and for me to feel sorry for this guy. 
and to write him off as someone who's not like us? Because after all, we're not rich, right? We may say to ourselves, I have lots of troubles, but, you know, being rich is not one of them. It's kind of a strange thing, isn't it, that somebody else is always rich, you know. Even those who are actually very rich (laughs) don't think that they're rich. The rich are those who have more money than they do. Well, whether we consider ourselves to be rich or not, honestly, we all love money and the things it can buy. Our possessions are very important to us. And all too easily, if we allow it, our possessions can begin to possess us. We love living in the kingdom of thingdom. We tend to judge our self-worth by what we have. And so we dedicate ourselves to the acquisition of more stuff. I mean, the more stuff you have, the cooler you are. Right? And you'll be the envy of all your neighbors. So that our preoccupation with money and material things gives us the rich young ruler's problem, even though we may not share in his level of prosperity. We all run the danger of getting caught in the eye of the needle. The spiritual dangers of wealth and possessions are very real, which is why Jesus talks about these things all the time. He talks about the kingdom, and what does he talk about? He talks about money. In fact, in some in the Gospels, he personalizes money. It's mammon. I mean, there's something, there's a dynamic about money that can really take over. It's dangerous. We get so caught up in piling up earthly treasures that we become blind to the heavenly ones. No wonder so many folks are unhappy and running on empty and longing for something better in their lives. But now having said all this, we have to realize that wealth or possessions are not bad in themselves. Remember, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. And when properly used, people are cared for, life is enhanced. Money, after all, builds libraries and hospitals and schools and roads and feeds people. Wealth is not a bad thing. There were many wealthy Christians in the early church. But what matters is how we relate to it in our lives. Jesus is not calling you and me necessarily to a life of poverty. He's calling us to discipleship. For this particular young man in our story, his wealth was getting in the way of his following Jesus and living in the kingdom. Entering the kingdom. So he had to let go of it. For the rich young ruler, it was was his possessions. But speaking more broadly, what is it for you and me? What is it that is keeping us from following Jesus more authentically and more intentionally? What are those loyalties that we are clinging to too tightly that spoils our discipleship and divides our hearts? Is it the love of money, possessions, like the man, the story? Is it our family, our career, our ambition, 
our success, our children's success, our reputation. All good things, by the way, but good things that we love too much. Such things can begin to possess us so that it dominates our thinking and our acting. They become an idol that we worship, and they block us from life in the kingdom and the fullness of life therein, blocks us from truly following Jesus. Letting go means giving up some of those inward attachments that keep us bound up and feeling so unfulfilled and unsatisfied. So what is preventing us from turning our lives over to Christ? But as I say, perhaps nothing so gets in the way of following Jesus in the kingdom life as our wealth and our possessions. So Jesus turned to his disciples and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are amazed by his words because they had always understood, they and everybody else in, 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 in Jewish life, that wealth was a sign of blessing from God. It meant that you were favored by God. If this rich young ruler couldn't inherit eternal life with all his riches and his virtue and all his achievements, his success, then who can be saved? That's what they were wondering about. Boy, if he can't make it, what about us? Then Jesus makes himself even more emphatic. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is such a, a, an absurd exaggeration that over the years, people have tried to, uh, interpreters have tried to soften the, uh, the, the absurd nature of all this, making it less strong. So they've interpreted it different ways. Uh, if, if you've been around the, the world of biblical interpretation, you know how this, these words have been interpreted. Uh, people will say, well, he wasn't, Jesus wasn't talking about a literal eye of the needle. Uh, they talk about how back in those days there were little gates in the wall of Jerusalem, and, and they were really narrow, and it was hard to get a camel through there. But if they just sucked it up and held their breath, and then, you know, maybe they could get through. It would be hard, but not impossible. So the eye of the needle were the little gates in the wall. I've heard that explanation. Still, they say that Jesus wasn't referring to a literal camel. They point to the fact that in Aramaic, there's a word for twine that sounds a lot like camel, so what he's really saying is that it's, it's very difficult to get twine through the eye of a needle. And, and uh, you know, if you dampen it, if you spit on it a little bit and kind of work it through the eye of a needle, it just might be possible, but, but very difficult, very hard. Have you heard that one? Well, it seems to me pretty clear that Jesus means what he says. He's employing what's called hyperbole, exaggerated speech to make a point. And the point is that it really is impossible for a rich person to get into the kingdom, certainly through their own efforts. In our day, it would be like saying, you know, a rich person has a snowball's chance in hell of getting into the kingdom. Same thing, you know? Absurd. 
hyperbole makes the point pretty well, though. Snowball's chance in hell. I've always liked that phrase, actually. <laughs> the camel is the largest animal in, on Palestinian soil, a uh, you know, big gangly animal. And nothing was quite so small as the eye of a needle. And so the idea of forcing a, a, a camel through a needle's eye is patently ridiculous and totally impossible. So it is for the rich who are trying to get into the kingdom of heaven. It would take a miracle for them to get in. It would take direct intervention from God. Only by God's grace would it ever be, would it ever be possible. And that's the main point. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, salvation, the kingdom of God, life in the kingdom, salvation is all God's doing. We don't get into the kingdom by virtue of our own good deeds, our achievements, all our trophies that we've piled up, our earthly success signified by our wealth, our bank account, our possessions. We don't earn our way into God's good graces. We can't get in there as a project of self-improvement. There is nothing that we can do to inherit eternal life. We can do. It doesn't depend upon our own goodness. Again, what we can attain or achieve. Contrary to prevailing opinion in our culture, being a good person is not enough. It's not enough. You can be honest, you can be decent, a fine person in the community, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee you a place in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, there are many good people, fine people, who will never enter the kingdom of God and enjoy eternal life because they're holding on to other stuff, which in the end doesn't amount to hill of beans. Got so many folks who are into self-improvement. Go to the bookstore, the self-improvement section. They think salvation is all about making yourself better by doing this or by doing that, or by practicing this or practicing that, thinking better, or doing this or that. It's impossible to enter into that kind of life Jesus is talking about. Impossible. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible by His grace. Our hope is in God, not in ourselves and our own abilities. And that is good news. Really good news, because I know myself. <laughs> Man, I am a sinner in need of God's grace if I'm going to get there. In the end, it's all God's doing, not ours. Now, the rich young ruler, what a great guy. I mean, he, well-meaning. He wanted what Jesus had to give, but his heart was divided. He had wealth and status, and sadly, he was unwilling to let go of his attachment to those things in order to receive something that is so much better. One wishes that there was a sequel to this story, that maybe, you know, maybe he realized the emptiness of his life and came back to Jesus and said, Jesus, here I am. Take me. 
Just take me. I give my life over to you. I realize now it's not about what I do. It's what you do. Thank you for loving me. Lord, I want to enter your kingdom. I have nothing to stand on. Here I am. I give my life to you in faith and trust. Do with me as you will. Gosh. I don't know. Maybe that happened. Maybe. This story that we've just talked about draws quite a contrast with the story we talked about last week. Jesus' blessing of the children. We recall Jesus' words that unless one becomes like a child, one cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Children have nothing to commend themselves to God. They have no status, no accomplishments, no list of virtues to stand on, but they are able to receive the kingdom because they are willing to give themselves completely over into the care of another in a spirit of trustful dependence. They are simply willing to receive. What is blocking you and me from receiving that gift? What are we holding on to that is keeping us from following Jesus and entering into the fullness of life in his kingdom? Let it go. With God's help, let it go. Get rid of that inward attachment. It's not healthy if it's too strong. Turn your life over to him in faith and in trust. And then, follow Him. Let's pray. Gracious God, if it was all up to us trying to improve ourselves, we'd be lost without hope. Be impossible. But Lord, You've made it possible through what You have done for us upon the cross of Calvary, You have opened the gates of everlasting life by virtue of your resurrection. And Lord, we would walk through that gate, not claiming any merit, not holding on to a bunch of stuff, but knowing only that we belong to you, lock, stock, and barrel. Take us as we are. We are to come as we are to you. By your grace, Lord, show us what real life is is all about. In the name of Jesus, amen.